Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 47 to 53. Luke 22, 47 to 53, it says this. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man, who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. We're continuing in our sermon series that began in the liturgical season of Advent through Christmas into Lent with a final culmination on Easter Sunday. Luke has been and will continue to be our guide through it all. Luke for all seasons. As we continue in this season of Lent, we will engage in a topic that has a lot to do with Lent. Power. What our passage will show us today, Jesus reorients our understanding of what power is. Jesus reorients our understanding of what power is. But if we are to be reoriented, we must first name our collective understanding of what power is today. When we talk about power, betrayal and violence are so common in our collective vocabulary that they are merely accepted as components of the status quo. In our understanding of power, demonstrations of subversive manipulation are expected. Of course, a congresswoman trying to hold on to her seat in a competitive district will highlight the moral shortcomings of her opponent to demonstrate his inadequacy to lead. The four beef processing corporations that control 85% of the entire market in the United States have every right to increase prices at the grocery store while simultaneously eating away at the already paper-thin margins of ranchers. You don't want to lose, don't play the game, right? It's unsurprising to us that the free city-state of Hong Kong would lose its democratic political structure when it's in the best interest of a global superpower to strip those freedoms away. The confusing, seemingly senseless invasion of the Ukraine by Russian forces has led to violence, death, destruction. Ukrainian men between the ages of 18 and 60 required to throw themselves into this conflict without more than a few days of training. Families are severed as women and children born trains to flee to Poland as refugees, sleeping on cots five or six feet apart from other women and children in gyms without any room to spare. Maternity hospitals bombed, women in the middle of labor rushed out on stretchers, infants on life support, new mothers killed before they can even hold their child in their arms. 
This is how the power of the world works. These are the results. Senseless violence, betrayal, darkness, and what is referred to as strength, those things are expected in the power struggles of the world and are responded to in kind. Power is expected when power is exerted. Darkness spreads, and we become so accustomed to it that we assume our inability to see things clearly is simply the way things are. And while an increasingly flat, modernized world makes the spread and reach of this power more efficient, the fundamental nature of the power of the world remains unchanged and has remained unchanged since humankind first exerted it in Genesis 3. See, well, I should have probably learned by now, I cease to be amazed at the continuity of human nature over time and space. It has been a very long Passover for Jesus and his disciples in our passage. The Last Supper happened earlier in the day. We're in a very long chapter. Communion was instituted for the very first time. Judas accepted an offer to betray Jesus for some money. Jesus has prayed on the Mount of Olives, pleading with God to change how coming events will play out as the disciples fight and fail to stay awake. And in the middle of night, cloaked in darkness, a crowd approaches, Judas leading the, leading the way. They approach The kiss given to Jesus by Judas, normally a cultural gesture of intimacy and brotherhood, flipped on its head. Judas, Jesus says, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Betrayal. The disciples jump into action. Lord, should we strike with our swords? And without waiting for an answer, Peter, as we're told in the Gospel of John, starts lopping off ears. He says, I know this game. Let's rumble. Violence. Our passage ends with Jesus calling out the religious leaders. I'm paraphrasing here when he says, You didn't have the guts to do this in public in the middle of the day, so you came in the dead of night with no witness. Cowards. And then he says, But this is your hour when darkness reigns. But this is your hour when darkness reigns reigns. Darkness. Now, why do these religious, morally upstanding, righteous men act in this fashion? Why do the disciples respond accordingly? Has Jesus broken some laws? Has he spread lies and slander? Has he coerced his group of followers to do as he desires or else? Or is this yet another example of a response to a perceived threat to the powers that be. Is Jesus' arrest unique or simply one more instance of the same human nature playing all over the globe today? See, when we read this, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's even a part of us that says it's sad, but it's not surprising This is how power works. Or is it? In the late 1980s, jobs in China were scarce. Nepotism and bureaucratic inefficiency ran rampant. 
Hugh Yaobang was an advocate for open markets who traveled university campuses teaching on liberty and freedom. And when he suddenly died, students were outraged. Protests sprung up like weeds around the country, culminating in thousands of students flocking together to Tiananmen Square, demanding that same liberty and freedom from the communist regime. Within a month, the Chinese government declared martial law. As many as 250,000 soldiers were sent into Tiananmen Square to squash their protests. Power had arrived. The hour of darkness reigned. Students were beaten with clubs and the ends of rifles. Tear gas filled the air. Dozens of tanks, dozens of tanks were brought into the square to intimidate the students. Power. Seemingly unstoppable power. The tanks, so remarkably representative of the inherent violence and coercion we have come to associate with power and those that wield it out of nowhere, were stopped in their tracks. We have a photo or two of exactly what happened here. I want to put those on the screen. Tank man, as we now know him, demonstrated to the Chinese government and to the world that if only even for a moment, the power of this world can be thwarted. This man, whom the Chinese government has censored from its history, knew the impending consequences of his actions. He understood he would be imprisoned for life at best, and in all likelihood killed, which very well may have happened. No one actually knows what happened to him after two anonymous men dragged him away. But in his unwillingness to match fire with the world's fire, violence with the world's violence, for a moment... One unarmed man was more powerful than an entire military. Reorienting the world's understanding, if only for a moment, in the process. A crowd of religious leaders approach Jesus and his disciples, reacting to his perceived threat of their power. And the disciples act in kind. They are angry. They are violent. Jesus is to be arrested. He knows where that arrest will lead him. And if we believe him, when he calls himself the Son of Man in verse 48, he could snap his fingers and put an end to the whole thing. He's God, right? He's the most powerful person who has ever walked the earth. Notice what he does. Instead of the sword, he calls for peace. Instead of violence, he heals. Like the tank man, Jesus refuses to stoop to the power of the world. After his arrest, he will be mocked, beaten, tortured, and killed. He is a threat, and this is how the power of the world responds to threats. But in his obedience, in his submission to the will of the Father, Jesus will completely reorient what our understanding of power is. The tank man overcomes the power of the world for a moment. But when Jesus goes to the cross, he will take the entirety of the power of the world upon himself in a moment, and he will die. But three days after that death, Jesus will rise, and in his resurrection, overcome the powers and principalities of the world, not for a moment, but for all of eternity. The light will shine in the darkness forever. 
Sin and death will be no more as Jesus' ultimate power, the power of peace, the power of what the world would call weakness, overcomes the world itself, reorienting our entire understanding of what power is in the process. Easter is on the horizon. That sun is so close to rising above those mountains, illuminating the valley of the world. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. It is still Lent. The powers of this world wield their swords in the darkness of violence and death are rampant. And so we wait. We wait for Jesus to return to make all things right. And as we wait, we must take note of the moments, if only for a moment, when the light breaks through. And so as we close, I want to highlight one such moment I read about recently in Christianity Today. When the Russian military began invading the Ukraine about a month ago, many Christians in that region turned to international conference call prayer gatherings to cry, to yell, to ask for prayers of petition from their brothers and sisters around the world. A Ukrainian woman named Angela and a Russian man named Alexei happened to be on the call at the same time. And they wrote to Christianity about what transpired. I'm going to go back and forth here. Angela said, In the afternoon, I joined an international prayer call organized by the Lasan movement in light of the invasion. When the host asked how I was doing, I cried. I was angry. I felt betrayed, broken, and stepped on by Russia. I was scared for my husband and for my friends in Kiev, praying at that moment about whether they should evacuate. Alexei writes, it was heartbreaking to hear what she, Angela, and other Ukrainians on the call were going through. It felt awful that my country was causing her so much personal distress. When the facilitator asked who would volunteer to pray for her, I said yes and began talking to God as I wept. Angela says, as I heard Alexei's heartfelt prayer for me, my family, and my country, Ukraine, I could not contain my tears. His pain was real. His words reminded me that I was a part of a family not based on nationality, skin color, or status. Only Jesus. Out of all the people that God could have used to comfort me that day, he used a Russian brother to give me a glimpse of his heart. Alexei continues, after I finished praying, the host asked me how to share, asked me to share how I was feeling. I told them I felt terrible. I was utterly ashamed of my country's actions. I will never forget the look in my Ukrainian friends' eyes. Instead of condemnation, I saw compassion. Angela wanted to pray for me. She asked God to show himself to Christians in Russia who felt powerless and afraid. She prayed for revival in Russia and Ukraine, a longing we had shared in our hearts for years. On the day that Russia invaded our neighboring country, God used a Ukrainian sister to give me a further glimpse of his grace. Now that's powerful. Jesus reorients our understanding of what power is. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.